0: What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh.
1: Hello, and welcome to the caregiver community, This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents and for ourselves. I'm Frances Hall, co-founder and executive director of ACAP Community, and I'm here with my co-host for this podcast, Mark Bumgarner, executive director of Adult Life Programs in Hickory, North Carolina. Hi, Mark. How are you?
2: I'm well, Frances. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. Glad you're here. Mark and I are two of the estimated 10 million adults in the United States and many more millions worldwide who are adult child caregivers, caring for our aging parents and for ourselves. In this session, we're talking about how to best partner to make sure our mothers and fathers receive the best medical care possible. We adult child caregivers often become the caregivers and medical advocates for our aging parents, particularly as health issues arise. Often we're the ones who identify that medical intervention is needed. We schedule medical appointments. We accompany our parents to the appointments, talk with medical professionals, and sometimes interpret medical assistance to our parents. Sometimes it's hard to know when we need to step in versus when it's best for mom or dad to take care of everything. Our guest today is an expert in managing health issues and coordinating details with healthcare professionals. Julie Packer is the Director of Professional Relations at Catawba Regional Hospice in Hickory, North Carolina. As an RN with a master's degree in oncology nursing, Julie has spent most of her nursing career focused on end-of-life care, at the bedside, in management positions, in program development, and most recently, in outreach education. As a 21-year hospice nurse and the daughter of aging parents herself, Julie understands both professionally and personally the need for effective communication and coordination, both with our parents as well as with healthcare staffs. Julie, welcome to the caregiver community. We are delighted to have you with us.
3: Thank you so much, Mark and and Francis, for having me today. Absolutely.
1: Okay, let's get let's just get into it. Let's get into some basics. We know it's a good approach to foster our parents' independence for as long as possible as long as they are safe. Mm -hmm. So why are we discussing ways to partner to better our parents' care?
3: Shouldn't our parents just work toward bettering their care on their own? Well, that's a very good question. Um, We know that our parents, uh, as as time ticks by, um, and they've been independent as they've grown through that time, um, are facing more and more adjustments as there are changes in their life. Um, and as they age And these things seem to happen with greater frequency As time goes on um, And that sometimes these And many times earlier on in their age They are able obviously to make their changes Capably But as they grow older As we see things change uh, They're sometimes having Difficulties and they're sometimes Facing those changes with fear, anger, depression Or any other types of emotions um, and many times they're adapting independently. Other times they're made with the help of others. I think that mm-hmm. we want to better their independence as much as we can facilitate it because that's what they're used to. That's what they want. But as we see these subtle changes and needs in them, we then step forward to obviously become an advocate and step in to sort of offer help. And hopefully they, they accept that help. Um, while also reinforcing their independence in the other areas of the li- their life that they are able to be independent in. Um, I think it's important, too, to remember that when we talk about partnerships here, we're talking about partnerships with our parents as being their advocate, but also partnering with the medical healthcare team to also be their advocate. Um, so we're Two, two different both. types of partnerships here. That's a really um, good point because it really yeah.
1: is, you know, as, as I was the adult child, and I know you both are also, that there are those times that we talk with our parents and to help them understand, but there are also those times that we help try to help the medical people understand.
3: And our goal is always to be, <laughs> you know, empower our patients to be their own self-care advocate, their own their own independent decision maker. Um, It's when we, in our zealousness to be supportive, that we sometimes step in prematurely. Um,
2: Julie, that really leads into a a question I have. How do we as adult children know when our parents really need our help and involvement in their health care? Or how do we know when we need to take a step back?
3: Yeah, so it all starts with um, trying to prevent that overzealousness and premature stepping in by taking the big step back to assess and really spending some time looking and and observing, um, starting the assessment process early before the crisis hits. Um, And I have a few suggestions. Start with simple observation. Look for small changes in their ability and their activity. You know, was this someone who was... Able to walk from the sofa to the kitchen refrigerator without any help in the past, and now all of a sudden you're subtly noting noting um, that they're grasping mm. onto furniture as they go. Mm. You know that's Tried. Tried. you know a small change. Perhaps a cane might be of assistance there. Um, what about their overall health? Uh, you glance at their calendar. There are much you know many more doctor's appointments. Uh, their social life is. Becoming less active and their trips to the doctor are increasing. Their outings are becoming healthcare focused. What about their mood? Um, and that's a big one. You know, for someone who has had a uh, a life that's not been focused on health, they're much more social, possibly, um, much more attentive to their friends. Maybe they're becoming more isolated. Maybe they're having visual changes and they can't drive as, or they should. They know they shouldn't be driving. As much, and they're spending more time inside, and they're not liking it. So what are you noting there? Also, so that's observation. Uh, listen. So observe, listen. Is your parent asking directly for help, or are they subtly inferring that they need it um, and don't want to directly ask you for that? Um, do they understand as you communicate to them, perhaps you ask a question about their last medical appointment? Are they relating back to you what the doctor told them? What instructions they were given? Do they understand what's actually wrong with them? Can they relate to you what their disease process is? If they're not putting that all together, that's a big red flag right there. Um, And in concert with that, their medications, do they know the names of their medicines? Do they know the generic name, the brand name, both names, the dose, what their pill looks like? And those pills can look a lot similar to each other sometimes. Um, What they're for, and I mentioned doctor's instructions. So are they understanding that they went to the doctor, now they're supposed to do something in response to that? And what is it? Can Can they share that back with you? If they can't, it might be time for you to start suggesting going with them. Um, accompanying them there. So you can be an extra set of ears. How do you introduce that? That We'll talk about that in um, a little bit. Um, so observe them, listen to them, talk to them about their needs, their capabilities, their fears, considering their views, um, and talk about their wishes for the future. I think it's important to, to uh, be direct but also be diplomatic and be sensitive in your directness. Um, understand, you know, that they realize that these changes or their the lack of knowledge or lack of need or greater need, they're expressing it as acknowledging it, and they're maybe then realizing that they're going to need help for it. Um, so it's hard for them to express. You have to, you have to sometimes work around that and use your words to get the information out. Um, empathize with them. For a moment, if you can, step into their shoes. Realize why they are not necessarily asking for help if they're not um, they're clinging to that independence see what their day looks like um, experience it by stepping into their shoes and and also acknowledging their losses they've had a lot of things that have changed over time a lot of things that they've lost um, and they are not necessarily all healthcare care related and you compile those and it just adds and magnifies their health care losses so um, Really t- try to be where they are, and that helps us in our interaction with them so observe, listen, talk, empathize, ask them if you're not getting anything directly or they're resistant, um, ask them if they'll allow you the privilege of helping them so if you if you really share with them your current concern, your compassion, um, not just blurting out that they need help, but you you know you want to take them somewhere. Um, you want to be a partner in their care. You want to facilitate their health so that they can be with you longer. Um, and then involve them. If it goes about the fact that you're, they have accepted your help, help, let's talk about the ways in which they want you to do that. Um, setting priorities, discussing options, making decisions. Sometimes what you think they need is not what they think they need, and sometimes you 're going to have to agree to disagree but um, come hopefully in that you 'll come to a compromise if you keep those communication lines open. Um, and
1: I'm, I'm kind of smiling at that, um, mm-hmm. at that whole notion of listen to them and take a step back because that is really sometimes hard to do because we're so well-intended and we mm-hmm. care so much and we want to help. Some of the things you've talked about sort of remind me of a term that I hear a lot these days, and that is health literacy. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what health literacy is?
3: Yeah, and it coincides with everything that you've you've we've just talked about in terms of assessment. But we're, you're looking for your loved one's capacity to obtain, process, understand basic health information and the services that coincide to enable them to make appropriate health decisions. Um, it's a, we live in this complex health care system now that's challenging even when we are health literate. To understand and make sense of it all. So we're looking at the ability for our loved one to understand exactly what what I mentioned, disease process, prescription bottles, appointment slips, medical education brochures, handouts, discharge instructions after hospitalization, consent forms. We don't want them to be just signing a form arbitrarily and not knowing what it's for. Uh, we don't want them to take their medication and, not, and know not know what it's for, or be you know given that in a hospital and not know what it's for. Um, we you know this is this is a really important thing when when our elders are getting older and they're getting comorbidities, dif- different illnesses, and a longer list of medications and uh, treatments, et cetera. And what we find is that more than sixty six percent of U.S. adults. 60 greater than 60 years 60 years or greater have inadequate or marginal health literacy literacy skills um, and those folks enter the healthcare system in worse physical and mental condition and have more chronic conditions than are less likely to manage them well and are associated with preventable hospitalizations and er visits so we can help the system by helping our parents become more health literate um, and so you know we're talking about self advocacy and helping our pe- patients be independent and the healthcare team helping their patients be independent if someone has low health literacy it's that self advocacy goes out the window we need to facilitate their education and understanding allowing them to be independent as long as possible and then when they're not able to any longer help their family who's partnering with them their family member or point person also be uh, literate as well, educate them to.
1: But you're basically, what I'm hearing you say is basically that we as the adult child need first to really understand what our parents know and don't know Mm -hmm. before we just sort of take it on ourselves and jump in and say, oh, mom, oh, dad, this is what you need to do.
3: Right, exactly. And we're doing that with the best of intentions oftentimes. We're busy people, you know, the children of elder parents. Um, we are oftentimes not always living in the same location as they are. We're making short visits to their home. We're trying to jump in and take care of everything possible that we can do at that time of that visit. Sometimes we do it by stepping too far onto their turf. And there is a phrase that say, our, our parents want to be cared about, not cared for. Mm, that's good. And so we tried it.
2: So tried it. as a, a person who provides care to his mother, mm mm-hmm. I'm curious, what are the kinds of questions I should be asking myself as an adult caregiver about my mother's ability to be literate on her health, excuse me, on her health needs, and to know when it would be time for me to intervene?
3: Okay. So some of those things were mentioned um, in terms of interventions, um, assessment skills. But again, relating to that, is is your mom expressing a desire for help? You know, that's That's a big leap because usually they're not direct initially. There may be subtle references to the need, but are they expressing a desire? They need you. They're actually calling and asking for something. Is she or he uh, overwhelmed by the details of their health care situation? You know, they've got the bottle of pills spread out across the table and they don't know one from the other. Um, Does he or she ask questions? Uh, to educate him or herself about it. The fact that she or he has the meds out is a good thing. They're trying to figure it out. Another patient might just be taking them uh, without looking at the bottle carefully enough. Um, is is the information he or she conveys to you accurate, thorough, based on what you know or you, you've you been told? Um, does it coincide with standard thinking in relationship to their disease process and what you've heard treatments should be, et cetera? Um, do they have any health condition that takes their memory uh, from them? Memory loss or confusion, that would be limiting them. Uh, does your patient, uh, and I say patient now, this when I talk about that, I slip into that quite frequently because I'm looking at this also as a healthcare provider. So when I say parent, you can substitute <laughs> patient. And as a as a child, you're referring to parent. As a healthcare team member, you're looking at your patient. Um, patients' literacy. Does your parent or patient's health suffer due to lack of being proactive? They're not following through with the instructions given, the um, directives and uh, exercises from a physical therapist, for example. Um, are there visual or hearing or other sensory um, impairments that would make their communication difficult at best or confusing? You know, you've, you've seen your loved one shake their head yes, 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 when they're asked a question in the doctor clinic or, or by, by someone about their health, and then you relate back to them about that later, and they had no clue what was said. Uh, let me, let yeah. me jump
1: in with a personal mm-hmm. illustration of that real quickly. When um, my mother was having a shoulder problem mm-hmm. and went to the doctor, and it was the nurse practitioner who said, I want you to take extra strength Tylenol. So we walked out. Yes, Mom knew to take extra strength Tylenol. What I did not realize until two weeks later, when we wound up in the emergency room with her blood pressure sky high, Mm. is that she thought she was being told to go cold turkey off all her off her blood pressure medicines that she had been taking for decades and never connected. Yes, she knew to take the blood the um, the um the extra strength Tylenol, but had no clue that she got that. So what you're saying is imperative right. to really be sure that they understand fully what the doctor or or healthcare professional is saying to do and make sure that that they know to stay with the rest or whatever to do with the rest of everything mm-hmm. else.
3: There's some other cues too. um Mark and Francis, we alluded to, but, These are some things that are visual and and things that you can observe. You know, Is your loved one losing mobility um, and function? Getting around is difficult. They're not able to get into the bathtub anymore, so they're not taking and bathing and showering as much. Their appearance is changing. Maybe they're not able to walk to the laundry room and do as much laundry as they used to or lift the laundry to the uh, washer or dryer. And so their unkempt appearance is really a flag preparing food, getting out to the grocery store to get the food and preparing it. They're not eating it as well. And they're losing weight. Um, they're socially isolated because they're not getting out, poor housekeeping, poor yard work, home maintenance, unpaid bills. You're seeing envelopes on the countertop that no, aren't normally there. Um, you're seeing pet waste or, you know, an empty dog dish when there should be water in it. Um, Or the pet's losing weight. They're not being fed. Failing eyesight, you're seeing evidence of that uh, throughout the home when you walk in with crumbs on the table, things on the floor. When your loved one was always a person that picked things up and cleaned the countertops, that sort of thing. And overall, just increased fatigue. It's exhausting to, to be able to try to... Do all these things but not be able to do them anymore and being frustrated about it and not being able to be honest with your family because it's acknowledgment of your losses. So those are some additional things you can do to question yourself and um, ask yourself about your loved one as to whether they need help or not.
1: And so the the caregivers who are, or the adult children who are close by, who can visit often, can see those kinds of things, but if it's a long-distance caregiver and phone mm-hmm. or email is, is the connecting point, then it's just really important just to keep asking and, and just learn as much as possible about
3: what's really going on. Right.
1: Right. Okay.
3: Yeah. Right, and hope that they're honest with you. It's hard on the phone. Yeah, um, that is. You might well. need to uh, secure mm-hmm. someone locally to be your little spy, you know, to just check on them and
1: like give a you neighbor. a report.
3: A neighbor, a caring individual, a family member who might Friend. be local when you're not, just to do some subtle observations and some of those things that I mentioned right. what, what's going on with mom and dad. Right.
1: Well, you've given some great information. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just so we're sure before we kind of switch gears mm-hmm. a little bit, um, are there any other things that need to be addressed relative to conversation with mom and dad and, and um, uh, assessing? The assessment? I think
3: I think after you've made that assessment and you acknowledge that there are some deficits and you know you're going to be moving towards doing something differently, more of a partnership, um, and you have to approach your loved one, I think probably the best advice is to do so. Again, take some time together, um, in a quiet place where you can talk with grace, respect, dignity uh, about what you think is happening and how you want to care for them so that that transition, you know, to a partnership is more accepted and um, your advocacy will be a smooth transition, um, a step towards helping their, your loved one will be more accepting to them. And we'll talk a little bit later about when it's not, um, but I think that might bridge, bridge that gap um, with Good. your approach to how you want to offer care.
0: We'll get back to your show in a moment.
2: Oftentimes, adult caregivers find navigating the health care system on behalf of their loved one overwhelming and frustrating. Do you have some practical tips that you could offer adult, care, or adult children caregivers in making sure they can connect with those health care providers and how to ensure the best care for our loved one? Absolutely, and I've, I have a list here. Um, so mm-hmm. let's, let's start just
3: with um, some things you need to do first before you actually encounter the actual professionals. Um, and we've talked about sharing your observation with your loved one, but you need to also talk with your siblings um, and not forget that they are involved as much as you might be and determine among you the best point person, because if you're going to be partnering with your parent to work with the healthcare team, it's very difficult when there's multiple family members calling the ph- physician's practice, asking the same questions or, or an array of que- the same question in a different manner. Um, you, you need to set a plan with your siblings, how you're going to handle uh, taking care of mom or dad. You also need to plan for um, needing to sometimes acquire medical information from the healthcare system. And that's going to mean talking with mom and dad about the release of information form. It's called a HIPAA form, um, Health Information Protection and Privacy Act, um, to prevent, uh, to allow you to have access to their medical information. Otherwise, you can be an advocate all day long, but the healthcare system's not going to provide you with it. Information you need to do that. Um, so that's going to be a form that is going to be signed and acknowledged probably at every door threshold of every healthcare entity your parent might enter. Doctors' offices, different clinics, uh, facilities they might go to if they're in rehab, outpatient, inpatient, long term care, hospitals, etc. Um, and then also. Preliminarily begin your discussion About advanced directives the healthcare power of attorney If you are uh, chosen as the point person For your loved one Because of accessibility, availability, willingness um, You are likely possibly to be also chosen As their healthcare surrogate Their decision maker If they can't speak for themselves So it makes sense to go ahead And get that paperwork going And in order to do that You need to know their wishes So you have to begin that conversation That's the preliminary steps but um, you need to do a little research before you can step in. You have to educate yourself about your loved one's healthcare care conditions. Uh, so talk to your mom and dad again. Find out what their ailments are. Ask their permission once that HIPAA form is signed to be able to access some of that information from their medical record. That will be easier than you probably calling the physician and setting up a time to talk with them. They'll probably be more willing to share it in writing. Um, spend some time on the, commu- on the computer uh, or at the library if you know now what the list is to explore what those diseases are, uh, what the normal standard treatments are. Um, start ask you know writing your questions down so that you could then again talk with the healthcare team about those conditions and get to know the healthcare team. So if mom and dad are giving you permission as a point person to go with them to some of their appointments um, and interactions with healthcare providers start to ask who they are what what is their role what is their name find out some personal things about them relationship building is key for them to be able to embrace you as much as you and them Um, you're going to probably in a small town some of you are out there in cities but you may be seeing these people again and again and we talked earlier um, I spoke earlier before this podcast with Mark and He's just talking about his mother having her fourth joint replacement um, after having two knees and two hips replaced. He's seeing and learning from those experiences, the, from the very first one to the second one, third one, now on the fourth joint. He's seeing some of those same providers. He's learned from those first and second, third
2: experiences. It's a shame it took me four times around to learn some of them.
3: Experience
1: as the best teacher, something like that.
2: But, Julie, you gave some good perspective here, and it occurs to me that one of the things we might want to keep in mind as adult children and caregivers is mm-hmm. that while we may be frustrated and overwhelmed by mm-hmm. the healthcare care system, that system may Find our family system just as daunting.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so let's communicate with them. Um, the first time you go in to, to with your mom or dad to the doctor's office, and you know you're going to have questions. How does the doctor like to receive those questions? Does he like them verbalized at the next appointment? Would he like them sent by email before the night before the appointment? Or even earlier than that, so we can answer them as they come up. So we're in electronic age. Let's find out what works best for the provider. Well, that's a good um, suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, while we're talking with the healthcare providers, team members, let's ask them directly: How can I better the care of my loved one? Can you give me advice? That shows that you care. It shows that you want to learn. Um, they're likely now you've taken an interest in what their profession has to offer to your mom's and dad's better care and they're likely to embrace you more because you do um, I, I said, I always say it's better to be sweet than, than bitter um, approach them with a nice approach that you appreciate them and they may help you more um, and, ha- and be sure you get their names and contact information because the minute you leave them is the next minute you'll have a question that you didn't get answered there's also a nice method that I've um, utilized personally as well as seen others use, especially if there's multiple family members trying to help get mom and dad to the doctor. Sometimes there's a point person who is the point person, but practicality speaking, not that point person might not necessarily be able to take off work every time there's an appointment, and there might be some shared responsibility in that, is to keep some sort of a, me, uh, a binder um, you might do this on a laptop that is shared, um, but also a, some mechanisms so that you can pass that on to the next family member taking mom and dad to the doctor. So you're keeping a binder that's got a section with a calendar that has all their health care appointments in it. Um, there's a, a plastic sleeve for business cards so that you know who all, are, um, who all they are seeing or have been in contact with maybe practice names as well as providers. Um, There's dividers in that book for specialists. We know our our parents have multiple physicians that they see, go to multiple practices, um, and you have a section for each. There's a sleeve in each one of those to put the educational material that might come from them. You might even have a divider for hospitalization, so you have discharge paperwork in there, Um, and a spiral notebook in that binder Somewhere, um, either under each section or a single one that is divided, so that when you do go to that practice and you are accompanying your loved one, you can take notes. And that is sometimes the way in the door, the first suggestion for you to go with your loved ones. You know, your parent. You're saying, "Mom and Dad, I really like to go with you next time." You know, I understand from myself when I go to the doctor. I don't always hear everything the doctor says. I I focus on maybe the first thing out of his mouth, and then I realize when I leave, I I can't remember anything else he said. Let me go. I'll be your scribe. I'll take notes. I can. We can then. You'll have record of what was said. You will have two sets of ears here, and then you can, uh, you know, have a place to reflect back on the
2: visit itself. It's in writing. That's a really great suggestion. Yeah. I imagine that's not only helpful for our parents and ourselves, that's the kind of tool we can take into other providers so that we can ensure they have information we need them to have as well. Exactly.
3: Exactly.
1: And I love, I mean, you're talking just a simple three-ring binder with dividers and for each section and, you you know, it's a pickup and it's a one-stop shop kind of thing. Things you can pick
3: up from your local pharmacy down the street, you know, your local uh, store. Right. Easy to find things. Right. Um, right. If you have a different method that works, that's great too. Um, you might have a method that e- we're just trying to be consistent from person to person who might be taking mom and dad t- to the office so that the healthcare team doesn't get frustrated, you don't get frustrated, mom and dad don't get frustrated. There's consistency. And I always say add to that um, your own personal journal. Uh, you know your observations, the things that I talked about earlier, that you saw happen today when you saw Mom and Dad. That really, maybe after you have written it down three times, it it really rings true. Oh wow, there's been a lot of change from this date now to this date, mm-hmm. and I need to. We need to kind of address that. Um, sometimes we forget the duration of time between, or maybe some things happen slowly and subtly, and um, When you have a journal, you have that to reflect back on. Great suggestions. Mm -hmm.
1: Julie, you said kind of earlier that we would come to this point, but as you're talking about our talking with our parents, sometimes parents can be very cooperative and Mm -hmm. very um, willing to have an adult child go with them or to be a partner in their health care sometimes however they're not for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. What suggestions do you have for those times when mom or dad or both kind of balk and say I I don't I don't need your help.
3: And I think that probably happens, you know, probably some of you out there said when I, you know, have that wonderful subtle gentle conversation with mom and dad with compassion and care and sensitivity that they're just going to be all accepting, and of course, there's that population that are going to say no. Right. I appreciate you, but I am not ready for your help yet. Or they may not be so direct and say, you know, that's wonderful, but uh, when I need you, I'll call down the road. Right, not now. Um, so, what happens when that when when they do that? Um, I think we need to first of all try to understand the motivation behind their behavior. They've they've spent a lifetime of being independent. They're they're motivated to be independent as long as they can. Um, they also, as I mentioned earlier, don't want to admit that if they need help, there's a deficit. Sometimes it's uh, a strike against their ego or confidence level. They don't want to acknowledge it, um, and they therefore bucket. Um, we also have to think, how did we communicate our request or our statement to them talking about their need for help? Were we treating them the like the adult that they are? Um, some of us are sandwich generation folks, and we have small children while caring for older parents. And we're used to talking to our kids like kids, and sometimes forget to turn on the adult hat when we talk to our parents. We need to treat them like the adult that they are. Um, how can we help work around what we see as a need when they're resisting? I think we can offer um I statements rather than you need help. Mom and dad, I let me share with you what I'm seeing. And I'm concerned about your safety. And I know your doctor is too and even your grandchildren have noticed some things. Um so blame it on you, blame it on your grand on the grandkids, on the doctor who they respect. Um, If that still doesn't work, perhaps you need to pull your family together and have a family meeting. Conversation around the table, um, including all the adult children in their life, the trusted, caring others that they might look up to. You may want to throw in someone like a respected uh, friend or person in their life who can reinforce the, the fact that people care about them and want them to be healthy and safe and live independently as long but they might need some help doing that might be for example like a pastor or a respected mentor Um, if that's not working uh, that's when you might want to email quietly email the patient's physician or the parent's physician get that doctor to reinforce the fact that he's seeing some changes he thinks their safety's of concern. Um he or she, the doctor, wants them to have the help they need. Perhaps he writes a prescription for the you know, some assistive devices. Um, outfitting their home for safety and grab bars, for example, telling them the things that they need to do that you've already told them and you've prompted the doctor to repeat. <laughs> um, I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and now all of a sudden they listen to that doc you know, they all of a sudden they might have be willing to have some grab bars in their shower. Be persistent. Keep trying, and keep close tabs on your parent. And I just realized, too, Francis, that I left out two important things on that list uh, when I was talking about ways to really help the healthcare team know what's going on and help the help your parent and advocate for them too. You need to also in that book. I mentioned maintain an updated list of your parents' medications. Oh, absolutely. Um, That has to be a complete list. It's just not the names of the medicine on the bottle. It's the generic name, the brand name, the dose that they're um, prescribed, how often they're to take it and when, um, any special instructions that go with it, like you know, must take this with food or a certain time of day. Um, Be sure to list their allergies on there. and, And keep that list up to date, All of your siblings need to be aware of that if they're taking this book on the road. One of you probably needs to keep the um, list of that in a computer format or write it in pencil if you're changing it. But I would suggest one person be the keeper of that and make the changes along the way. And then also keep an ongoing list of your questions as they come up for the doctor or healthcare provider. Write your questions down as you think of them. Before the appointment, prioritize them. The doc doesn't have a lot of time with you in those clinic appointments anymore. If he only gets to half of the list, you want the most important questions to be at the top, at the first of the list. And include, be sure to include your loved one's questions in there, not just yours as the caregiver or the advocate. Um, consider emailing, as I mentioned. Be sure to write down the doctor's answers. That seems like a no-brainer, but you know, if you're so busy thinking of the questions, sometimes you or you're listening to the answer, you need to write it down, write it down in that journal or the book, as I mentioned, Spiral Binder. Um, And if something is unclear in that answer, repeat it back to that doctor. Did I understand you to say this? Um, So you mean mom should this. That kind of reinforces the point with mom and dad.
2: Well. That, that's that,
3: so we talked. Let me get back. We were talking about when mom and dad are resistant. I just didn't want to
2: forget those other things. On that medication list too, mm-hmm. I just want to. It, I imagine it would be important to also keep a list of any homeopathic or over-the-counter medications. Absolutely. As well,
3: yeah. And I, I, I think you should probably consider um, kind of categorizing those medications by disease-related. Uh, category. So you know all of these drugs from A to C are for A to D are for her cardiac condition. And the other ones are for COPD. Um, These are her diabetic medications. Those sorts of things. That keeps them sort of all together. And so over the counters go together. Homeopathic as well. And that is a great point, Mark, because a lot of times the healthcare team we hope is better at communicating amongst themselves, so they're sharing some data now, or they have portals that they can access. You know, the general, you know, family practice provider internist might have access to the specialist information if they're in the same healthcare system. But if they're, if your loved one's on homeopathic medicine that they're getting in an outset from an outside provider. They may have no clue what those meds are and need to know.
1: And mm-hmm. all of this, the real bottom line to all of this is it is all about the safety right. for the loved one. And safety is just not negotiable.
2: Yes, right, exactly. So, Julie, you've given us a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And to put you on the spot just a wee bit, what would you say is the singular most important aspect of working with your loved one's healthcare care team?
3: And this is probably the answer that goes with a lot of questions related to some of the things that you have on your podcast, but it's all about communication. You have to keep those lines of communication open and it's communication that's verbal as well as nonverbal. So when I first gave you that assessment list, some of that communication is that you're being present and you're observing and you're listening as well as talking. So you're gathering that information and communicating it back to your mom and dad in in the environment that's suitable to them that they're comfortable with you're listening to what they're saying back to you you're getting into their shoes remember and then you start communicating some of it to the healthcare team you're listening to them they're giving you feedback all of that is going to be reflected in how it's received is your is your loved one understanding it that health literacy are they hearing and understanding what the doctor's saying do they, do they do you then see them take action and if you don't are you communicating that to them <laughs> and that they that you need to do something different um communicating to your siblings hearing their feedback continuing to ans- answer quest- ask questions and get your answers and applying that to to their life um So it's an ongoing communication process that keeps this going um, down the track that you want it to, hopefully in a positive direction.
1: Wow, this really is great information, Julie. And Mm. we are so grateful for your insight and sharing your insight that has come from years and years both as a nurse – In a professional role, but also as an adult child of aging parents. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much
3: for allowing me to share this today.
1: And Mark, thank you for being with us also, being part of this. And thanks to you all for listening to the caregiver community. Julie, Mark, and I hope you have learned something you didn't know that will help you be more a more effective adult child or caregiver and advocate for your aging parents. This program is part of the MESH network of online shows and podcasts. You may learn more about the MESH and check out the other programs available for free at That's T H E. M as Mother, E-S-H, TheMesh.TV, www.TheMesh.TV. On that site, you may also send us a question or a recommendation for future show topics using the Contact Us button. We also encourage you to find us on Apple iTunes, where you may subscribe to our show to make sure you receive all future episodes automatically. You will find a link to the MESH website on our ACAP community website. And for more information about ACAP and ACAP community, you may visit our website, www.acapcommunity.org, and that is A C A P as adult children of aging parents. So www.acapcommunity.org, or call us toll free at 877 877- 877 599-2227 or email us at info at org Thank you for listening.
0: You've been listening to the Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts